You are listening to the Real Faith Stories Podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Julie, welcome to Real Faith Stories. So good to have you on the program today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I am really fascinated with a statement you made, and that was with respect to a shift that occurred in your life from how to live as a Samuel and moving to living as a Daniel. And we'll dig into that in a minute. If you would, please share a bit about your backstory. Sure. Well, I am a PKMK, so preacher's kid, missionary kid. So I've people ask me where I'm from, and I it's like being a military brat. It's like I'm from nowhere and everywhere. <laughs> I picked Texas as home because that's where I was born, and we did live in Texas for a period of time. And my grandmother's house was for a period of my life the most constant thing, and she lived in Texas, so that's where I'm from, and that's certainly where my mother was raised. And when you're raised by a woman from Texas, you are a Texan. So. <laughs> you have the Texas star on your front door still? <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm proud to be from Texas. It's a great place to, it's an interesting mindset and culture to be from. And then to experience how that translates out to the rest of the world when you get the opportunity to travel around the country and, and around the world. It's, it's pretty fun. So as a preacher's kid, a missionary kid, tell me what that was like. Here's the thing about being a preacher's kid is you are called whether it was your call or not. It's not just the pastor and his wife who serve, the family serves. For good or for ill, that is the way that it, it is. And long about the age of 16, critical mass of are you going to make a choice as a preacher's kid? Are you going to find your own path of faith or are you going to just say, chuck it and, and see you later and check yeah. out? <laughs> yeah, that's very real, isn't it? Right. Because humans are humans, even inside the church. At the time, my parents were serving as the missionaries on staff in Springdale, Arkansas. And the pastor there, Steve Dixon, was preaching a message and he started talking about Isaac and giving background that I'd never heard up until that age. Or if I had, I hadn't remembered about Isaac actually really was not a small boy. Isaac was very likely at the, at the very least around 16. He might have even been a little older and Abraham was an old man. Isaac chose to get up on that altar. He didn't have to. That was, that was his moment of faith. It's like, okay, this God that my dad believes in, if this is real, right? He was in his own, own moment. If this is real, then there really is a ram in the bush and something's coming through for me. And so. I get it now. And that's th that story of Isaac, like that's actually really the preacher's kid, missionary kid story. Because yeah. at some point you have to, you're either going to kick against the, the traces around this call that you were conscripted into, right? Or you, you, it becomes yours and you choose to make it yours. I think that's the common thread for all of us. When you made that choice, did it happen at 16 to follow the Lord wholeheartedly, Julie, for yourself? So I was actually saved at the age of six. I remember it very distinctly during a vacation Bible school, summer camp kind of experience. I was filled with the Spirit at seven on the mission field in, in Ghana, West Africa. I don't know what it's like to not know that the Lord is around and that the Lord is present and working and moving. I think the flip side of that is it's maybe taken me my whole life 
to progressively and repeatedly say, oh, that's right. Yes, I maybe have to make that decision over and over and over and over again because it's super easy to go my own way. So fast forward up into your 20s. Did you wind up going to college or what was your kind of your walk experience into, quote, adulthood? I did not go to college. My parents, what they did on the mission field is they planted Bible colleges. And so I had, unbeknownst to me at the time, I had actually really already received a pretty heavy duty theological training. So I went looking around to see where I could go to a Bible school and get a degree and was, I found myself super disenchanted with the curriculum because it was kind of light on the Bible. A lot of administrative training and things like that, which are good. Those are all good, but that wasn't really at that stage what I was hungry for. I, I thought I was going to go on the mission field. I thought that's what I was going to do with my life. And so I wanted a really heavy, theology-sided kind of education. And when I didn't find that, I was like, well, what am I going to I was already working full-time. I had been since I was like 14 years old. And then I'd also been offered a, a full-ride um, scholarship to the University of Arkansas. But at that point in time, I just really, I thought I was going on the mission field. And so the regular college training didn't make a ton of sense to me. It's an interesting thing to me because I'm a Gen Xer. I'm married to a boomer. He's 10 years older than me. Most Gen Xers have boomers for parents, right? But I have depression era babies for parents. So my parents are the silent generation. So there's a, a way that I was raised that's actually really beyond just being a missionary and preacher's kid mm-hmm. <laughs> was a little different because my parents really didn't have that unction. Like once you were 18, it's like, no, you're going to decide for yourself what you're going to do and you're going to live with the consequences. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't actually really provide a lot of guidance in that space. They basically just left it up to 18 year old little me on what I wanted to do. And so university education didn't make sense to me. And mm-hmm. so I didn't do that. And so I was just working and trying to figure out what I was going to do, young and 18. And then this hairy-legged boy came walking into the clinic that I was working at. Oh, um, that guy. That yeah. guy, yeah. <laughs> and he was a YWAMer. So we met in March of 1990 and were married in December wow. of 1990. And then I was supposed to need all kinds of medical intervention to have children. And so we we do what married people do, particularly mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> newlyweds. Two months after we got married, I was pregnant with our first daughter. Mm. And so then that really set the course. The baseline course for the next 25 years was making decisions that were the best I mean, yes, saying yes to the Lord, but then also still the best for the family, best for kids. Let's shift to this comment you made about knowing how to be a Samuel, meaning a minister raised in a minister's house to minister to God's people, versus becoming a Daniel, which you said is someone who ministers to an evil king in an evil kingdom Mm -hmm. and did it so well, the kingdom prospered. Let's talk about that transition. Please explain that. Sure. Well, like I said, like I thought I was going on the mission field. So I thought I was going to stay inside the church ecosystem and serve in the church ecosystem. And even as a missionary, when you're serving cross-culturally, that's still well within the wheelhouse of church business, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's a very specific way that we view the 
kingdom of God advancing, and which is good and right and proper. Like the the spreading of the gospel, it is the command, like go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's, mm-hmm. That is what he left us with. But then after our youngest was born, we were just going through some stuff. And I very distinctly had an encounter with the Lord out of Proverbs 31, and then Genesis 1, or the book of Genesis about the curse and how that work became toil. But we're still help meets. And so, cause I kind of still had like the universal church thing of the highest call is to be a stay at home mom, raising kids, homeschooling, that whole thing, which there are women who are called to do that and they should answer and say yes to whatever Jesus calls them to do. That was not what the Lord called me to do because out of this encounter in Genesis and Proverbs 31, the Lord very specifically called me to go to work. What happened? What was that experience like when you got this revelation? I think maybe like many of the revelations when God gives them to you, it's an answer, but then it's not necessarily one that comes with the totality of relief. Mm-hmm. Right. When you're in a pinch point and the Lord comes and says, okay, we'll do this. And you're like, oh, oh, that's not, you're not just rescuing me. That is so true, Julie. <laughs> it's like, okay, all right. So, and then like years later, I see so now the provision of the Lord in it because if he hadn't done that then, um, we wouldn't have the provision today around some things. So I'm so glad I said yes, that he gave me the grace to say yes. And what did you say yes to, Julie? What I said yes to is at that point, I went and got my real estate license. Mm-hmm. And there was, because it was, again, that, like I said before about making decisions that are yes to the Lord, but still support the needs of family and kids. With real estate, you're, you're your own boss, mostly. And so you can adjust your schedule around kids' schedules and husband's schedules and all of those things. And so I sold real estate and it was great. I actually highly recommend people doing that for a period of time. Being a commission salesperson will teach you all kinds of lessons. That's for <laughs> Never sure. Never learnable any other way. So yep. that's where I started. And that began actually really. It was the, the, trial by fire of, oh, I have to show up as a whole person, as a believer, right? I have to show, because we also lived in a smallish community. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows you. They know your kind of baseline, what ought to be your baseline kind of moral ethical code. And then you're put in these situations where it gets tested and it gets sort of tested on a, not a wholly public playing field, but not totally in private either. And so you really have to learn how to show up as the totality of who you are, a moral and ethical person, because you're going to continue to run into these people that you're either helping them buy or sell a house, or they're the people across the table from you in the negotiation spectrum. You're still going to, these are, this is your community. So it was a really, really great way to start learning how to like, oh, this is what this looks like to live this outside of the insulated world of church. It actually has meaning. It has tangible things that get attached to it beyond just talking about it like it's ideas. That sounds like the transition between the Samuel approach to the Daniel Mm -hmm. approach, right? Where Mm -hmm. you had to take all of the virtue and connectedness Mm -hmm. you had with Jesus and just let it be what it was in front of people and, Mm -hmm. and show up the way you were. In that relationship with him, right? What was it like to have that sense 
that you're, you were making that transition in your life as you were starting to do real estate, did you actually see it for what it was right away, that difference between the Samuel versus Daniel approach? Or did that just come kind of slowly as you were moving into that space of being an agent? I think it's both and, you know, okay. I think I recognized in the moment like, oh, and, and honestly, being a missionary's kid helped me it's like, oh, I, cause I recognized pretty early. It's like, oh, the church thinks that we're, we, the American church thinks that we exist inside American culture. But if you're insulated inside the church, you're actually, you don't realize how cross-cultural it is to be a Christian in the United States. We are not living by the same understanding of words, much less the actions attached to those <laughs> words um, when you take an ethics class. Because like with real estate, you do have to do quite a bit of education. And in the ethics class where they just talk about, like we would assign very specific virtues to ethics as Christians. But when you're taking an ethics class, no, everyone has ethics. They might be bad ones. They, they might be corrupt from a Christian's perspective, but they are their code. Everybody has a code that they're living by. It's just how you're going to show up and apply those codes in this situation. Cause part of that ethics class that they go through is that there's this like realtors have this standard of behavior, part of this code of ethics. This is why codes of ethics exist amongst certain professional organizations so that we bring everybody's ethics to a plumb line mm-hmm. in this process, right? So I I saw it, but as far as like being able to put it into the words of moving from Samuel to Daniel, I think that's really only come in the last few years as I've seen as my professional life has progressed and gone, oh, you've just drawn me further out into the waters. And there come, there does come a point where you, maybe you are, maybe I was like dipping back and forth, still mostly Samuel or spending more time still with a Samuel hat on inside the walls of the community. But that's not the case anymore. I spend more time now away from the community and separated from the things that historically the church would say ground you. And I, and they do ground you. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying it's like, I don't actually have the same access to to the ease of that anymore because where the lord has called me to serve has different demands and there and it's and it's not a compromise i'm not compromising anything and prioritizing that if that makes sense yeah so as you now are spending most of your time outside of i'm going to put this in quotes the church community what have you found to be the greatest challenge in that space and the greatest reward They're actually probably the same thing because the greatest challenge is actually the development of relationship and then the sustaining of relationship. Because if people, it's, it's the navigating the space of being willing to hang with people while they work out their misperceptions on you. But you know, you have people who are like, Oh, I can't go take out my frustrations around what I think about XYZ. The last few years in America as a Christian, if, if you're in relationship in the community with non-believing business people, they're going to ask you difficult questions. But the most rewarding side of that, though, is to be able to work those things out and still maintain relationship. That begs the question, what is it you're doing right now? I am the general manager for the Reading Civic Auditorium, which is a public event venue here in Redding, California. And 
some of your listeners may be very familiar (laughs) with Uh what I'm talking about. But for those who are not, we host during the school year, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry four days a week. And then three days a week, the facility is open to do all of the things that venue like this would normally do in any other community. So we host conferences, conventions, banquets, concerts. But the fun dynamic of of this particular spot is that Bethel is a mega church in a small community. So it's one thing, like I, I use this example all the time, just because it's far enough away that hopefully... I don't know anybody connected to it, <laughs> but, but you know, Joel Osteen's church is much larger than Bethel, but I don't know that it reaches 2% of Houston's population in total, right? Mm-hmm. It probably isn't even that much. In Reading, Bethel is 10% of the Reading population. So there's a big wow. impact in yeah. our community around anything and everything that Bethel does. And since the, the school is in our facility, we get tied in to all of those things. And and it is a very political position to be in here in the community. It's a very front-facing forward, holding the line of tension between where church and the rest of the community intersect. I'm grateful you shared that because that gives context to your previous commentary about having to deal with people's perceptions or misperceptions of you yeah. mm-hmm. if they're not believers in Jesus, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, you're still involved in real estate. Is that correct? I'm not. So, this is another like interesting, everybody's probably seen that graph where what, what we think the path to success looks like with this straight upward line <laughs> and what it really looks like. And it's this squiggly mess that you can't untangle. So, real estate prepped me for this job because I did, I sold real, residential real estate, then I moved into commercial real estate. And we, the broker that I worked for, we managed over a million square feet that was mostly occupied by the state of Alaska. So, for Alaska, it was like heavy duty leasing. Most other people weren't having to deal with that kind of complexity of lease agreements. Yeah. And then, like later on, like now being in, in this position, so I, I went from real estate into eventually into nonprofit management. And so both sets of those skills I get to use in this facility. Oh, um, I can see is, it. Which is fun. Absolutely. You've been prepped for this. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It was Jesus. He did it. <laughs> he did, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. I love that. You know, there's three big lessons that you shared that you feel would help others most from this transitional experience. And I'm just going to read these three and we'll dig into these. The first is get outside your bubble. Second is show up. And I love this statement. It's so much less about how you show up as it is simply showing up. And then thirdly, relationship is everything. So let's talk about getting outside your bubble. What do you mean by that? Well, even all the way back to that beginning of when I went to work in real estate and and started encountering people who were not like me, right? Whatever the difference is. I mean, it could have been socioeconomic. It could have been religious. It could have been anything. There is more commonality as human beings than there is disagreement. There really, there really truly is. And getting outside the bubble actually worked compassion into me, which... I will be the first to admit, like I'm, I'm a hyper mission oriented person and having lived all over the world and moved a lot and all those things, compassion isn't my first go-to. 
my first go-to is like, we have a mission to accomplish and that's what we're doing and we're going to pay whatever price and do whatever is done and da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, Type A. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but compassion for people, it getting outside the bubble, I think the Christian church sometimes is afraid of it because we're afraid we're somehow going to compromise what we believe if we cozy up too close to the sinful world. It has only made me more convinced of the power of the gospel and the need for it. Jesus is the answer. There's nothing else out there that offers what Jesus has done for us. So it's, if nothing else, we need compassion to understand and maybe to even see the work that the Lord is doing mm-hmm. outside of our lane. And it's good to have context like, oh, this is how this is. Yeah. This is how that's also serving that part of your strategy. Okay, awesome. He's a 360 degree God, isn't he? He is. Yep. And then the second piece was show up. And you said it's so much less about how you show up as it is simply showing up. What do you mean by that? I mean, this is a lesson I'm still learning. Like somebody told me, said this to me the other day, that perfection is the enemy of good. And I am a person who like, I want to show up as the best version of me every time, all the time. If I don't, if I miss that mark, I tend to spend too much time castigating myself or how it should have been better, I should have been better, and perceiving outcomes that weren't my prescribed outcome as personal failure, which has prohibited me at times in the past from showing up all the time when I needed to show up. And and that's really not an option today. I don't think that's I don't think that's just me. I think this is part of the thing that we're all communally facing in the world today is like there's a world in need, we're in need, and you have to show up and it might not be perfect. It might, some days it's going to be only 50% of my best because I'm a person and it's okay. What's not okay is not showing up. What I love about that is it takes the onus off of us. Because in our weakness, he's made strong. He is made strong. And where is the faith if it's up to us all the time? Mm-hmm. It's just not. Exactly. It's just not. I appreciate the way the Lord will put us and thrust us into situations where we literally can't show up with the strength we think we have. And then he does. And then someone later says, wow, that was an incredible experience. And you're like, you've got to be kidding you've me. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Or people say like, oh, he never gives you more than you can handle. Oh, yes, he does. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he does. And that's why he gives it to you. So you will say, help. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm just going to say that. And then you said relationship is everything. And it's not just interpersonal relationships. So what do you mean by that? We're not sitting here, each of us in our respective locations, having a conversation without trees outside putting off oxygen so that we can breathe and we then put off carbon dioxide so the tree can breathe. The importance of relationship, the Lord has woven into the fabric of everything we touch and come in contact, even if it's not another person. Like you can't, you can't go out into the wilds of the most remote place on planet earth and exist outside of some kind of relational component going on. That's powerful. He he made us interdependent. He made the universe interdependent. 
he's communicated a core value to me. The core value is relationship, which makes total sense. He's a triune God who existed in com- communion with himself, right? For eternity past. And this relationship produced creation. So we we're birthed from it. We're birthed into it. And it's this core value. So if you take that core value and then you lay that core value over all of humanity, how much more important is relationship then over this component of how we relate one to another? Because humanity in its most deprived and sinful state is still the most valuable thing to him of all of his creation. He said ahead of time, I will pay that price for this, even if it goes wrong, even if it goes absolutely haywire with all of the things that can happen and that will happen. This is what I will do to redeem it. And so it becomes a whole lot easier to show up imperfect or, or all and get outside your bubble. If you can see all of the things that aren't like you, there's a purpose here. We don't have to agree. We don't have to believe the same things. But if I'm a Christian, I do have to show up because how can I be the hands and feet of Jesus if I refuse to engage? <laughs> how can, how will they, it's the whole, how will they hear how to, unless they're sent? Well, we're all sent. We were all sent. That, that command that was given, go into all the world, wasn't just to a select few. That means when I'm at the grocery store, that means when I'm sitting behind my desk, when I'm in a meeting, when I'm at a city council meeting, like I was last night, those aren't things that live in segments outside of going into all the world and preach the gospel. The St. Francis of Assisi, the quote is one of my favorites, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. Your desire here for this podcast when we're finished is that people would feel empowered and encouraged to love where maybe the church or political culture has told them the only righteous stance is resistance. What do you mean by that? I mean, it would be really great if we really sat down and we thought about what it means when the Bible tells us that Jesus was sitting down with prostitutes and tax collectors. Mm. I don't think we fully understand in today's lexicon, the absolute ridiculous radical move of love that that was. So over the top. It was so over the top. It would be the equivalent today of me going down and sitting in a gay bar. I mean, just straight up or, mm-hmm. or going into a crack den. It's actually even really hard to put it in terminology today because as, as a culture, there's not the shame attached to certain things that there was then particularly in Jerusalem. So it, it may not have, it may have been fine within Roman culture, but within Jewish culture, the, the way that Jesus was choosing to engage was just so offensive to the religious leaders. What you're describing is like scratching the surface. I know you're saying that in terms of how offensive it really was, right? Yeah, I want to belabor this point, but we even like when we think about prostitutes, I think as Christians, we're like, oh, these were women like it's Mary Magdalene or or whatever. It's like, uh, let's let's go back to Roman culture of the time. Roman soldiers of a certain rank traveled everywhere they went with young male prostitutes that were their assigned prostitute. So and, and prostitution wasn't necessarily the purview of of Jews. Right. So these would have been. I mean, were there women? Yes. But you're talking, he was sitting down with Gentile prostitutes, which would have run the gamut of, of men and women. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's infl- it is inflammatory what Jesus was doing. It was just flying in the face of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees had 
had prescribed as the way to remain holy in occupied Jerusalem. So, going toward that thought, you can only remain righteous if your stance is that of resistance. That's not what you're saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's possible to go into the darkest corners. If I have been imputed the righteousness of Christ, I can go into the darkest corners of the earth, the darkest environments in our culture, and the righteousness of Jesus is mine. Like in the Old Testament, if you touch something unclean, you become unclean. In the New Testament, I'm clean, I touch you, you become clean. So we take the gospel with us, we take the results of the righteousness of Christ with us in all of these environments. And we don't have to be, we shouldn't be afraid of compromise if the Lord will lead you. Like, I, I yeah. he's done it too many times. It's part of the showing up of, if you just show up and be the authentic version of you, because you're created in his image, he's doing the work, you trust him, it might feel uncomfortable, it might be super vulnerable, but he will, through that exchange, his light is still shining. It reminds me of First John 5 verses 4 and 5, for whoever has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. And we don't believe that. We don't. And we're afraid of the world. And we shouldn't be. We have the answer. We have it. He is the answer. Jesus really is the answer for the world today. That old Andre Crouch song. And if we believed it, right? Yeah. We would do this. We would. We wouldn't be afraid to get outside of our community. Yeah, and, and to be clear, if you're called, Samuel was called inside the community, and he was doing the thing. Like, we, this is another space where even in this, you don't, we, don't, we shouldn't draw lines of division. Right. But we should make room for someone else's walk to look different than ours, and to trust that the Holy Spirit working, but again, that's relationship, right? I'm only going to trust if I actually know you. Otherwise, it's super easy to stand here and go like, what are they doing? That looks wrong. Yeah. And we're all subject to that kind of thinking. You know, when there's absence of information, we tend to throw monsters into it. Some are called inside the walls, and that is exactly what they're supposed to be doing. I, I have come to understand that the work of the spreading of the gospel is not confined to evangelists, pastors, ministers, missionaries. The bulk of the work is happening in the marketplace. It's happening on the street. It's happening with your neighbor. Right on. It looks different, but it's the same call, right? And even more now than ever. From one particular perspective, in my opinion, we are strangers in this strange land. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. it, it really is okay. And there might be some who are called to resist because it's constitutional rights. It's all these things. We have the privilege of a kind of participation in government here that as Christians, we should absolutely be engaged in 1,000%. But we shouldn't be surprised when political solutions don't work. Well, you're just shining the light on other options here. Yeah. As we finish up here, what would you say is your life's message right now, Julie? My life's message right now is it really is about that showing up piece. It's about being vulnerable and available and allowing myself to be a work in process openly that he is redeeming something out of that. It's okay to to not have it all together. And that actually might be more valuable to him for me to be honest about not having it all together. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I know you're not all over social media, but how can people get in touch with you? 
Sure. Like on Instagram, if people want to reach out, my account is private, but if they send a request with a message or something that's in connection to this, then I will accept the request. I have better things to do than to go down all of those rabbit holes. And I do weirdly sit in a kind of public position. So I've, you know, made choices so that, you know, my personal thoughts and opinions don't hijack missions and objectives that are outside of just my own personal being. But that would be the the best option. I'm at JC Dyer is my Instagram handle. Okay. Thanks, Julie. Appreciate that. Mm. If you would, please, as we finish, pray for our listeners would appreciate that so much. Sure. Well, Lord, I just want to thank you for this time. And I thank you that you assigned who was listening today or who this is going to be recorded, whoever hears this podcast. You knew that was happening. You you knew what was going to be shared was going to provide a solution or an answer or comfort for them in where they are in their walk with you and this thing called life and how to navigate all of the conflicted spaces. And Lord, I just want to speak to all of the Daniels out there who feel misunderstood and isolated from their people. Lord, you would just bring people into their lives that see them, who understand and have insight into what they're doing and the why they're doing, and that will lock arms with them in friendship and will not just like internally be like, oh, that's great work, but that they would affirm these Daniels in, in the role that they are playing in being the hands and feet of Jesus in their particular sphere. Lord, I just ask that you would infuse everyone who's listening with the courage to say and the grace to say yes to wherever they are being called. If it's a Samuel inside the walls and inside the culture of the community, that is amazing. If it's Daniels out into the treacherous waters of of whatever this is that we live in today, the same for them, Lord. And I ask for that you would just gird your church up. You would gird your body up. And to not being caught up in, well, I'm a finger, I'm a toe, I'm a hair follicle, but you would give us a, an appreciation for the diversity of this body that you you have called yours and that you are the head of, and that we would instead look for ways that we can support the work of the other members. And Lord, I just ask that you would pour out your grace and your compassion and your love for our country, for our communities, for the world. You did all of this for people. All of this is about people, all of the people. And I just ask that you would help us in our day-to-day lives just to keep that as center, that everyone we come in contact with is your precious, precious creation. And that in this moment, we have the opportunity to shine the light. And I just thank you again for everyone who's listening. I thank you for Brian, and I just ask that you would bless this time. Amen. Thank you, Julie. So rich. Appreciate you sharing your heart. Absolutely. This was fun. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening. 